Hi, this is Michael Waits, and welcome back to India Game Changer. Today, we are joined by Swati Kulkarni, a co-founder and CEO at Elda Health. I hope I got all that right. Swati, thank you so much for coming to the show. How are you doing today? Michael, thanks a lot for inviting me in. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. I'm doing quite well. It's been a lovely weather here in Bangalore, despite the rains. I think it's a nice sunny morning after a long time. So yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be a great day today. Good for you. I was talking to some of my friends today in Bangkok, which is where I live. It's raining there. And then I kind of peeked out the window here as well. And it's just like cloudy and raining too. Yucky. Anyway, before we get to the central part of our conversation, I would love to get some of your background for some context. Sure. I'm an average Indian woman, if I may. Uh, and I say this with a lot of respect for all the average women that we have in India. But I grew up in a slightly non-traditional sort of household. Tell me. My father is a retired army gynecologist. And, you know, we've been to different cities, towns in the country. So just the experience of meeting people from different, you know, states, different religions was extremely, I would say, enriching. And it, it's it's a it's an integra- integral part of my upbringing. But I think the more interesting part was growing up with, you know, dad, who's a gynecologist. So a lot of these conversations were typically, you know, matter of fact, and very, very unlike what you'd see in, you know, in Indian households, especially for kids who grew up in their 80s and 90s. Did you know that, though, when you were a young girl, right? So you'd sit around the dinner table, or even just like in the lounge or whatever you call it, right? You're sitting with your mom, your dad, your your family, and they're having these conversations that to you seem kind of normal. But if you went over to somebody else's house, you're like, no one seems to be talking about this kind of, do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. I think it happened. It happens even now more often than not. You know, it's some of these conversations are so normal that I, I find it very difficult to, you know, to be discreet about them, uh, if, if I may. But yeah, I think it was a very, very different sort of a setting in our uh, household. And like you said, conversations over the dinner table in the living room would be very, uh, you know, focused on women focused on how we should speak about certain things openly, break taboos and so on. And, and today when I go to you know people's places, I feel like in a number of at least circles in terms of my friends, my in-laws, when I was introduced into their families, I feel like we're replicating what I saw when I was growing up, especially in my household and hopefully in a number of others. It begs the obvious question, right? First of all, what were these conversations like when you were growing up? But, but almost more importantly, what's the necessary discretion? In other words, if I was a 14 year old friend of yours, a male friend of yours, right? And I just came home with you to study calculus or whatever we were doing. And I had broken my leg or hurt my knee and we were sitting around. So I was having a medical problem, right? And I'm like, oh God, my knee is killing me. And I got this knee injury by this thing where I fell or I was playing rugby or playing cricket or whatever it was. Nobody would even think twice about it. Nobody would turn their head while you and I were having this conversation as 14 year olds or 13 year olds. Nobody would care. So what's the discret? Like, I've always had this thought myself, like, why is it that when we turn to, you know, gynecology or or men's health or, or things that are very like kind of sexual in nature that we have to be so discreet. Like I understand, you know, I don't want to share the intricacies of my sex life necessarily, but my health is like a completely different thing. It feels to me. No, no, absolutely. I I think the the taboos associated with women's health in general, especially whether it's puberty, whether it's, you know, during pregnancy, either before when you're trying to conceive or partum for that matter, even menopause is big taboo in most households. And I'm assuming that's not just in India, even when I, my Western friends, you know, these are topics that people wouldn't talk about. You talk about 
about a fracture that you had or you know a pain in your uh, neck or knee without you know batting an eyelid because it's it's very normal it's considered absolutely normal right, right. but if you're talking about periods for example or yep. issues with pms issues that people have trying to conceive sexual health issues you know where couples are aren't compatible or there is a lot of psychological baggage to what you bring right. i would say not to the table but to the bed and especially menopause as i'm building elder in this space but i think these are all topics that are very taboo i mean let me give you an example of this 14 year old my son coincidentally is 14 year old and i see him talking to his you know friends at school whether they are girls or boys i think this generation is definitely different from what i've seen growing up yeah. you know a few years ago when my son was just 9 or 10 i actually sat him down and spoke to him about periods and told him why it is important to sort of empathize with other women right and yeah. that time my little daughter was only 5 years old and my son was really worried if she was going through that too but i think the sensitization across the board for us as families at school whether it's education at workplaces yeah let people know that having your periods is as normal as uh, maybe as normal or as important as your heartbeat like my dad always says right you're a woman from the womb to the tomb so the moment your mother has you in your womb you know and you have a tiny uterus as an embryo growing into a baby the care starts from there you know from what your mom eats how your mother's treated as a woman yeah. that's how you continue to grow and as women i think from our mother's womb to the tomb till we uh, breathe our last breath i think it's very important for us to understand that everything that's going through the hor- hormonal roller coasters that we are going through are very, very normal and it should be dinner table conversations i think so i, I want to back up a little bit and give you my perspective right because i often try to sit back and think why do i have a perception about something in the way that i do and i go back to my grandfather and my grandmother i could tell stories about like how much he needed her because he was my grandfather was brilliant but left school when he was 7 years old because he stuttered in the 1910s i think it was right so they thought he was uh, retarded that's what they told him and he was like he just ran away from school because he was getting beaten up wow. turns out he built a very big business but he couldn't write his own name he couldn't sign his own name and he couldn't do any math my grandmother was an actuary so she was slightly better educated and could do a little bit of math kind of thing right but because he needed her so badly he gave this to his own sons as well right this idea that like women are important and are meant to be treated in a very in a very specific way and that's with deep respect because without her he would not have been able to be what he was and that was passed down to us as well and i also grew up in a house with two sisters and a mother so for me all of these conversations seem kind of normal because there was always somebody in the house menstruating and always somebody in the mm-hmm. house you know it was not like when i went to college it just seemed like sure i get it i lived in a co-ed dorm mm-hmm. anyway the point is that humans have been doing this you know women have been doing this forever so it's not like it's something new that we have to get used to it's something that's just there and every man who has a wife or a mother or a sister or a gr- like should know this and should just be as comfortable talking about this as they are talking about anything does that make sense no absolutely michael i mean i'm so glad you said that i think it starts from what you see in the family yeah. the fact that your grandfather you know appreciated your grandmother and there was there's sort of an equitable relationship between the two right it's not yeah. about you know who brings what to the table because nope. we all born with different skills yep. i think just bringing that mutual love and respect and i keep telling you know my my younger team a lot of my colleagues too that there's always love in the relationship but i think what's typically missing sometimes is the respect that we show whether it's exactly. the women in our lives or to you know our colleagues male or women colleagues so yeah i'm, I'm so glad you 
you said that and um, uh, really heartening to hear that you're you're extremely comfortable with this and i i'm 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 hopeful that people like us can actually make that change in the world yeah i mean i've thought a lot about normalizing these conversations right which is one of the reasons why i wanted to talk to you but i want to talk to as many people that are doing what you're doing as possible so it just feels like you know talking about cricket i mean it's much more significant but it should be just as casual or just as easy yeah. there was a very funny scene i mean in a very sort of sarcastic way in 1970s television i don't know if you've ever heard of this show called all in the family yeah, yeah i have <laughs> So they did a whole show about Edith Bunker entering or going through menopause. And it showed like the male perspective. And Archie Bunker's, I think, if I remember correctly, one of the most famous things he said was he turned and he goes, I get it. You're changing. How long is this going to take? Do it now. And then we're done with it kind of thing. <laughs> you're laughing, right? Because I think that's the way most people feel about it. Maybe we can dig a little bit deeper and talk about what menopause really is when, when it like on average onsets and just the things about it that you think are important that people should know. Sure. No, I think there's a lot of stuff that's unknown about menopause and I feel that it's only in the last few years that people have even started focusing that this is a huge phase of a woman's life. Okay. So uh, Michael we spend as women one thirds of our lives in menopause you know that's how big this phase is But wait what does that mean though? Does it mean that so it's not like a transition it's just like it's a thing that then just continues until death? Yeah. I'm asking. Yeah no so anything in life for example you know is a phase so you hit menopause when you have not had your periods for a year Okay. Right? That's when you say this lady has hit menopause. Okay. But unlike just something that happens, you know, at a point in time, this phase, as I would like to call it, is basically something that starts way before you get to that stage where you say, I'm menopausal, right? I've, I've hit my menopause. I've not had periods for 12 months. So it starts, you know, much earlier. So there is a pre-menopausal, you know, phase that you go through. There's a perimenopausal phase. There's menopause and there is post-menopause. Okay, so okay. I have to simplify this and tell you, you know, just like I now tell my kids about menopause. See, there is this very friendly hormone, as I would like to call it, you know, my, my soul sister hormone, that is uh, estrogen. Estrogen. Uh, yeah. That is there in our bodies, right? As long as I have estrogen, as a woman, I'm protected from a number of health concerns, which you as a man may not be protected. For example, hypertension, you know, the possibility of becoming diabetic. You'll see fewer women having that until a certain age because I have my friendly hormone estrogen that's protecting me. Go ahead. What happens during your perimenopausal years is the estrogen starts dipping. So then not only do I have my own female problems, which I'm blessed with. Now you got all my problems. I also get all the other gender neutral problems you know so i'm more prone to diabetes i am more prone to hypertension but the moment the estrogen starts dipping i basically start seeing problems in three areas Go ahead. first is physical problems right so those physical problems could manifest in terms of lethargy tiredness i don't know if you remember any of your you know either your mom or your aunts or your female you know family members who are in their 40s and 50s you'll see a sudden dip in their energy levels and that's also because we're hitting menopause we're getting closer to that. Got it. So you'll see issues with your skin and hair. You know, the lady sort of loses that luster in the skin and the hair and so on. So these are all physical problems that you as a partner or as a colleague can actually notice. Got it. But that's not just that, right? There are some gynac issues which are more intimate to the woman. So you would have, there's a big joke about hot flashes. Not many of us really know how tough it is. Imagine if you feel like you're set in front of the furnace for a few minutes and then 
that's it, right? So yeah. even if you're in an air-conditioned room, you know, there is there's absolutely low temperatures around you. You feel like it's just so hot and there's a sudden flash of this heat. And the woman goes through it for a really long time. So hot flashes is a real problem that most women who are menopausal go through. And it's not easy for others to understand because they don't see it. Yeah, you can't feel it, right? You I mean, can't feel it. A man can't feel it or someone who's not going through it can't feel it, right? So it's like, what does it mean? Yeah. And then there are other issues that are even more intimate, which we call the urogenital issues. For example, the vaginal dryness. You know, till the estrogen levels are high, there is moisture in the private parts of the woman, right? Yep. So she's able to function normally, whether it's intercourse, whether it's general, you know, urinary issues. The problems are at bay. But the moment the estrogen level goes down, the lady is actually prone to a number of issues through vaginal dryness, sexual health problems. There is urinary infections, you know, that she's more prone to. So very often you'll see women in their 40s and 50s having urinary tract infections and so on. And this is because our friendly hormone is no more there with us. Can I ask you this though? So we spent a lot of time and I want you to see, so give me just a second for this, right? We spent a lot of time talking about financial literacy. We talk, we spent a lot of time talking about, you know, financial inclusion as well in fintech or, or other types of conversations that we have. Mm -hmm. You know a lot about this, right? But I feel like, is it the case that so many women kind of wake up one day, and I'm obviously simplifying this, without mm -hmm. knowing that these are the, that this is the result of low or falling estrogen levels, and that they end up with these, they end up with these changes that they don't understand. So even if somebody's with them, they, you can't even ask them because they don't understand it either. So they need to have their own sort of health literacy before they can even share it with somebody else. Does that make sense? In other words, you know this because you grew up around it, right? But like even, even friends of yours, girlfriends of yours, guy friends obviously know none of this stuff, right? But even female friends of yours that have known you your whole life or that are 10 years younger than you would have no idea like why this is happening. Is that fair? And then they're, they're confused as well, no? No, that's absolutely fair. That's more than fair, Michael. And let me also confide that I didn't know much about menopause until a few years ago, despite being the daughter of a gynecologist. Yeah, can I just jump in here for a second? I've always wondered this and I kind of say this out loud, like for generations before yours, mm -hmm. most gynecologists on average were guys. Mm, absolutely, yeah. But they're not going through any of these problems themselves. They're just interacting with people that are having these health issues. So they don't experience it personally. At some level, it must be harder for them to understand because they, they don't have estrogen. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? I would disagree with that. Do yeah, I don't know, right? But go ahead. I mean, I think male gynecologists are great too. I think there's empathy. Oh, I think they're super. That's not the point. Yeah, but this yeah. idea of like... Feeling it, yeah. No, you know, if, I've ne if I've never had tooth pain, even if I'm a dentist, like I can't... I've never had that feeling. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I think so too. And that, that's why I feel that, you know, that we should have more women founders out there building with companies for women. Because that's if you sure, haven't but... had a period, if you haven't gone through menopause, if you haven't had these issues, you really don't know what it feels like, you know? So I think I agree with you, Michael, on that one. Yeah, sorry, I interrupted you. Go ahead. Yeah. No, but coming back to the point, on, you know, knowledge about menopause, yes. I think big white space, not just in the Indian, you know, context. Everywhere. But spoken to a number of women founders, leaders across the globe. And I think it's a big white space that needs to be solved. You were right on the point when you said that people don't know about menopause. I mean, forget about what's going with, you know, what am I going through, right? With pregnancy, you know, these are the things that are going to happen. 
you know, this is what, what I expect. With puberty, you know, that you'll have your first period, you may have PMS and so on. But majority of the women who come to us at ELDA, and we've got around 40,000 women as we speak today who are a part of our community, majority of them had no idea about what they were going through. Yeah, that's my point, right? They don't know what's happening, right? So yeah. they don't know that there's this hormone. They don't know what they're going through is something that everyone goes through. So a lot of them are suffering silently and they're suffering alone. Yeah, so do you... Do you think, sorry, do you think that, and let's use your 40,000 community sample as an example of this, right? But do you think like you're right, they're going through this alone and in a way, because they're not even 100% sure that it's happening to anybody else, that there's nobody to lean on to say like, hey, do you have this thing? Like, who's going to ask this question? Are you suffering from vaginal dryness, from vaginal dryness, right? It's like, again, that should be easy to ask, but very few people are going to ask this question, right? They don't, they don't. So you speak about everything else. You complain about your work. You complain about your mother-in-law, but you hardly talk your health. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's the fact of life. And I think if somebody is there to just shake people up and say, hey, you're not alone in this. Yeah. And secondly, you don't have to endure this. Right. You know, we keep telling our women, this is a beautiful phase of life. See, look at the menopausal aspects of life. You don't have to carry a sanitary pad ever. You right. can run wherever and whatever because you don't want to have your periods, right? Yeah. You can be happy. A lot of women actually talk about a great sexual life after they've hit their menopause because Interesting. they don't have to worry about contraception and so on. But I think this pause positive aspect of how we want to have women go through menopause is what we want to build. That That's the awareness we want to talk about. Let's do this. So what exactly is Elder Health? Since we've kind of alluded to it, but we haven't really mentioned what it is and how long it's been around and stuff like that. Yeah. So we're a full stack digital healthcare platform for women. Wow. And we saw, started off with a focus on menopause because we feel like this is the most underserved segment across the globe. I can con- conveniently tell you this, right? And with our lifespan increasing, the quality of life increasing, right? At 40 and 50, I feel like I've just started my life. Same here. (laughs) Same here. I'm way older than you and I feel like I'm just at the beginning. Go ahead. So I feel like, yeah, I mean, I feel the same way, Michael. I feel like we've just started our lives. I mean, we've struggled to build skills. We've struggled to learn from, you know, our experiences. And right now I feel menopausal women are actually telling themselves that, hey, we have a life ahead of us and we want to do everything very well. And we want to be the healthiest of ourselves, of our versions, right? right. And I think health is central to whatever we do. So Elda started with a focus on menopause a year and a half ago. Okay. It started as a community of 250 odd women, um, you know, in a WhatsApp group. And as you can see in the last 18 months, we've actually grown really strong. If you ask me what is the vision and mission of Elda Health, yeah. I would say we want to make every woman feel healthier and happier, you know, at every phase that she is in. And today we're looking at menopausal women. And I can vouch for the fact that women come in clueless about what's happening. They're like, oh my God, this is happening to me. There's no one else who's going through this because nobody's talking about it. Right. Everything's taboo. And in a, in a country like ours where, you know, our reproductive health is, in, is a reflection of how good we are, there are some cultures where wisdom is connected to, you know, uh, age. But I think in most cultures, including yours and mine, the younger we look is, you know, the, the, the better it is. <laughs> can, I, can I ask you this, though? Because you mentioned this in passing, but I want to make sure I ask about this. You said that reproduction, like what is the, what is the societal view and the cultural impact of like being able to have children, not being able to have children? Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? And is there a secular change taking place in India? Because that's where you are, but also maybe globally with this idea of I don't want to have children. But still, just to back up, if you can't have children, right, it, there's always this sense, at least again, in the 70s, 80s and 90s, when I was growing up of like, it's that guy's fault, or if it's this woman's, you know what I mean? Like, there's this feeling of I'm not worthy enough of something because I can't reproduce. What is it like culturally, at least in your surrounding area? Yeah, 
No, great point, uh, Michael. I feel like we just did a research on this, right? As far as uh, reproduction is concerned, mm-hmm. and we speak to a number of women who are way into their forties, and we're telling them that you are going through menopause. Right. You know, a woman who's forty-six year old, for example, and okay. I remember you'd ask me this question on what is that age of menopause, right? Yeah. Globally, on an average, fifty-one year old woman would probably be hitting her menopause. Okay. In India, on an average, a forty-six year old is hitting her menopause. Interesting. So it it has a, there's a lot of cultural nuance to menopause too. Yeah. But coming back to this point on you know how we perceive reproductive health as something that's a that's an integral part of what we are. Right. I'll give you my personal opinion, which is definitely not the opinion of, of the country or the globe. Go ahead. But I feel as a mother of two beautiful young kids, and I yeah. had my first when I was just 25, you know, I've, I've had several gynec health issues myself. So I can tell you that having a child was a choice for both my husband and I. There was no societal pressure. At 25, nobody forces you to have a baby or get married, <laughs> right. uh, even in India, if I mean. Okay. I think consciously choosing to have a child, I feel prepares you for parenthood, you know, in a much better way. Well, because you're at least thinking about it, right? Like you, you've made this conscious decision. You're like, the outcome of this activity is going to be that thing. So absolutely. Yeah. And I think having children or uh, being a part of the reproductive act and not just a sexual act yeah. is a choice that the couple or the partners need to make, you know, amongst I, them. I agree. So I think if you ask me my personal opinion, I feel like, you know, reproduction has nothing to do with how we feel. But I think from a societal point of view, even today in India, we see a lot of couples struggling with wanting to have a baby because there's been parental pressures or there's yeah. been societal pressure and so on. So I, I won't discount the fact that it still exists. And I'm, I'm still talking about the 1% of the metropolitan, you know, crowd that we interact with. Sure. So I'm sure it's much deeper and bigger in, you know, other parts of the country. The other thing that I would definitely like to highlight is that not just in India, but even globally, there was a study that was put up, right? If there is a sexual health concern or if there's a reproductive health concern in, in a couple, it's, it's a higher probability that the lady or the woman goes and asks for help because the man societally is not supposed to have a problem or it unless all the problems of the lady are ruled out the male never gets himself tested which i think so strange right Yeah, it's so strange when 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 my wife and I were trying to have children. I want to back up and tell you this story just so it's not just about India, right? When I got married in Japan, and I and again, I find this really interesting, right? As a guy who grew up in a family with with a bunch of ladies, like to me, having these discussions was not a big deal. But in Japan, I think similar to India, there's not a lot of conversation around the dinner table about sex, sexual health, reproduction and stuff like that. Yeah, but I got on the phone with my father in law on New Year's New Year's very important holiday in Japan. (laughs) Basically, he said to me, this is the first year of marriage, okay? Mm-hmm. And we weren't young. I think I was 33. I mean, it's young now, but it wasn't young then, if you know what I mean. Like, we weren't 18 and 19. Sure. And he just said to me, like, before saying Happy New Year, mm-hmm. which is what you would say, it's the first thing a Japanese person says to anybody else that they see on the first day of New Year's, right? Akemashita, omerito gozaimasu, Happy New Year, yeah? But he didn't even say that. He said to me, kotoshi yoroshiku onegaishimasu, which means this year, you know, just do the right thing kind of thing. And I'm like, oh my God, my my, my father-in-law just said, like, do you know what I mean? Very- conversation <laughs> really interesting but so straightforward and i remember taking the phone and looking at my wife and saying your dad just said this to me is that what that means and she was like yeah i think so wow wow so i'm just no, saying I- like even even in the 30s it was a little bit of pressure so i get that but go ahead sorry i think it's interesting we had a similar conversation when you know my husband and i were getting married and my father insisted that my husband would have a conversation with him at that with time him? oh before you got married before i got married but that was just a father-in-law you know sort of figuring out whether this is the right guy yeah, yeah. But then before my marriage my dad kept telling us that we, we should meet a gynecologist and ensure that we plan our lives, you know, properly and so on. So both my 
husband and I, uh, unfortunately or fortunately, I should say, we went and spoke to my dad at that time. Right. And you know, one statement that just stays in my head, even today, as I'm married for 18 years now, is that my dad just told us that, you know, planning a child is it's the responsibility of both the man and the woman yeah. and you should try not to have accidents or whatever that is but the responsibility you know just being mentally prepared and whether you want to have a child or not is also your your call you know nobody else should sort of have that and I feel very few families uh, Michael have this sort of a concept right but I see that growing and uh, coming back to the point of the woman still bears the burden mm. of the child from the ability uh, to conceive one yes. to the burden of actually bringing up the child I think even in Indian you know culture setup. I feel even a lot of friends, American friends of mine, I see the same sort of a setup, right? Yeah. So I, but I feel I'm very optimistic about the fact that we are, if not sprinting, at least inching towards an equitable world where, you know, all of us are looking at making conscious decisions about things like this. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I used to say that if men had to get pregnant and give birth, there would have only been one generation of humans. <laughs> Oh man, I, I, I couldn't agree more with you. I, I, think, I think that's absolutely true. <laughs> but I want to get back to this idea of this testing, right? So as you go through this journey, right? Because your father sounds very progressive, right? And at some level, he has to be to do what he does and to do it well. But further to that, you know, you're warned your whole life, don't have unprotected sex and make sure that you have the proper birth control in place and stuff like that, because you don't want accidents, particularly when you're 18 or 20, or you're, you know what I mean? You're not in a stable relationship or whatever your idea is, is of the right family unit. I'm, I'm indifferent, frankly. But then when you try, it's harder than, like to get pregnant than most people say. It's not like making French toast where you just have an egg, you crack, you, you know what I mean? It's not that easy sometimes, right? Do that's you true. think some of that's down to pressure? And do you think that should be taught as well? Yeah. So I think it's a complex problem. And, you know, I feel that uh, there are three, four aspects to it. The first thing is we should be taught all of this while we're growing up. Yeah, you know? I think so. It should be a part of our education system. And it's not just, it's not just about contraceptives and otherwise. Yeah. I think concept of, you know, women do have a biological clock ticking. Uh. I think that's true. And we can't, uh, sort of trivialize that. So uh, pre-planning some of these things definitely help. We have a lot of women who come in, you know, in their 40s who want to conceive and they really want to conceive, right? right. They're prepared mentally for it. But physically, they may have some challenges and that's yep. how the superpower has made us as women, right? So I think there is definitely a lot of education needed and, you know, it'll be good to, it'll be good to introduce that in our schools. I think the second aspect to this, Michael, is the fact that you were mentioning, right? Which is, it doesn't happen overnight, no. you know, when you're trying to conceive. And, and this, this is, a combination of the stress that we have and how the body responds to it. I, I don't know if I mentioned to you, but I took to Vipassana a few years ago when I realized that I'm not able to, and Vipassana is a meditation technique, right? Where you where you observe your breath and for days together go without thinking about anything else, but just, you know, observe. Yeah, so we have an 11-day course where we don't talk to anyone, we don't have eye contact, we just meditate for 14 to 15 hours a day. But I think even, I mean, my recommendation even to women and our gynecologist, senior gynecologist who is a part of my co-founding team, also says this, right? That whatever whatever happens first happens in your head. So when you're trying to, you know, sort of conceive, just being peaceful, you know, being stress-free, uh, understanding that you can't control everything, you know, just enjoy the moment or this journey towards what you're building. Right. I think as a, a person who believes in meditation, I could vouch for that. Uh, my gynecologist who specialized in this, my co-founder, she believes in it. So I think there is truth to that, that conceiving is a combination of your body as well as your mind. Do you think as we move, I want to get back to sort of the startup part of this 
but I'm very interested in this too. Do you think as the world becomes more and more scientific, mm-hmm. right? And science obviously is ridiculously important. Are we losing a little bit of what's the right word? Like our own personal internal connectivity. I don't want to go so far as saying spirituality, right? But we're just relying completely on science and removing this feeling of I need to empty my thoughts out so that I can be relaxed enough to do any of the things that I want to do or accomplish any of the things that I want to accomplish, right? Because if your stress level is high, you can't hit the cricket ball even, right? Because you're you're not focused enough and then bring it all the way back to your sexual health, you probably can't get pregnant or it's harder to get pregnant as well. So both of those things seem very different and yet both seem to be driven by, like your co-founder said, it starts in your head mm. and then moves into the rest of your body. Is that fair? Yeah, I mean, I think you're right. Like we say, you can't pour out of an empty cup. You yeah, know? yeah, you um, can't get water from a stone, right? Yeah, you, you need to feel fulfilled and you know comfortable wherever you are. But I'd also like to add that even science tells you that. So at Elda, for example, whatever we do is very scientific. We don't right. do anything that doesn't have a proven sort of a system. Cool. But if you look at it, even scientifically, it is told that you need to be peaceful to, you know, sort of uh, prove whatever. So our women, when they come into our system, we start with a series of counseling for them because okay. I mean, your basket needs to be, you know, sort of empty for us to shower our blessings into it, right? You can't have a leaky bucket. It can't just fall through it. And if you have, if you've already filled it with, uh, you know, preconceived ideas and notions, then how do you, how do you pour into somebody else's basket? So, yeah. And Michael, it's interesting you, t- you know, I, I was really sort of amazed to hear your own story about irrespective of whichever part of the globe you are in. Yeah. I think we all, do we have a full control over how we think? I think the answer is no. You know, no. there's a lot of, you're reacting to others and thank you for sharing your experience, you know, in Japan. I think I would say that it's similar across the board. Yeah. My, my father-in-law doesn't speak any English, so he'll never listen to this. <laughs> my wife doesn't listen to my podcast, so. But I'm amazed. She, you should definitely show her the bit where you speak Japanese. I'm super impressed by how fluently you just said it. <laughs> oh, that's nothing. That's nothing. <laughs> Um, what is the idea? So a man is not going to go out and build a company like Eldahel. I mean, maybe he will, maybe he won't. Actually, there's a guy in Bangkok who built something called Mother Care. It always surprised me. And he cares about this a lot. Mm. But I'm curious if we want to back up a little bit from Elda itself and talk more about just women in the startup world as well. Yeah. Like, what is the startup ecosystem like in India for women? I don't have any visibility on this at all. Yeah. So I think it's an it's definitely an uphill task for most women. But we are seeing that change slowly and steadily. Okay. If you see, you know, it's a, it's a single digit number percentage of women founders who get funded. It's a low single digit number. It's a closer to zero than it is to 10. So I think, you know, I feel like that's a bit demotivating overall for even the younger generation that's coming up. But I think the positive aspect of it is that in my last 20 years of you know, working, I feel like we've come a long way, especially in the last few years. I see a lot of my women friends, you know, who are either in very senior positions, they're they're changing the way corporates are looking at women. Yeah. In I also, I'm a part of these women founder cohorts. And honestly, Michael, I am so impressed and inspired by all these you know, young, young girls, you know, women of my age and much older, I feel like there is a change that's happening, but it's going to take, like they say, it takes a village to, you know, uh, bring up a child. It's going to take the entire country, the world to ensure that the women, you know, women are more empowered to make an impact. Another thing I wanted to add is with my own personal experience, you know, when we were trying to raise funds for Elda, as well as the previous companies, you know, that I've been an integral part of, 95% of the times I'm talking to male investors. So to explain what a woman goes through, 
true you know it it literally i think that's also my my upbringing has also helped me because i'm i'm actually shameless when it comes to talking about things but you should be that let's just say that but yeah. are they embarrassed do you know what i mean like you walk in it's elder health it just says health it doesn't say you know gynecological health when you walk in there they're like oh no am i gonna have to talk about periods to this woman kind of thing do you know what i mean or do they like pass that i think we've had we've had conversations where people have been very comfortable i think it also makes a difference about how how we normalize this so when my co-founders and i walk into a conversation not just with investors but other senior people right. i think we normalize it and say hey this is okay and we've been very fortunate because you know out of the two investors who backed elda one of them of course is a senior woman leader one of the few women leaders in india so we've been lucky but the other person other partner that we have you know he has been extremely supportive of what we do at elda his wife is going through this phase so it was almost like meeting another friend and talking about something it was not right. a pitch at all so you know i think uh, sometimes it's very very convenient and comfortable but more most times men don't understand this and it takes us at least the first 15 minutes to normalize and say hey it's okay please ask us questions that, yeah. you know, even if you say what is a period it's okay to not know about it right let yeah, us yeah. you understand this a little bit better so yeah it is it is at least in the women's health space i think it's a little bit difficult for women founders but uh, women founders in general i think the cultural nuances you know that a woman goes through whether it's in the cultural context or overall context are a little bit more complex than uh, what men might go through okay do you feel what's the right way to say this this is a global thing right it's not just unique to women in india is there a part of your business that reaches out to people that are trying to build the same type of business outside of india whether it's in japan in the united states in canada in europe to try to figure out what they've done if they're further along in the development of their business than you are yeah i i am in touch with a number of founders who are building in this in a similar space and i feel like i think various parts of europe and the us are a little ahead of us because we've got more women in their 40s and 50s who are actually in the workplace than we have in india today okay. but i see that number increasing but i think maybe a couple of years behind in that journey i see a lot of women today in india also coming up and you know asking for these the challenges are similar when i speak to founders who build similar startups in the uk uh, or the usa i feel like even women in the western world are trying to break these uh, taboos they're trying to come out and say hey this is this is real you know hot flashes are real urinary yeah. issues are real so let's talk more about it so what's next i mean once you build out this business around this core concept around menopause what do you do next yeah i think we we've, we've just barely scratched the surface and to even get to menopause you know overall and touch 100 million women in india and a billion women globally right that's the number of people who are going through menopause wow. as we speak so i think it's a it's a tall goal for us and i think Fair we we'll get there in the next few years but i think women's health overall is underserved and as menopausal women start looking after their health their young daughters who are just hitting their puberty will have more information about you know how to sure. take care of their Kids. So I would say Elda does want to touch every woman who's going through any phase of her life and make her life better. That is that's the perfect way to end. Swati Kulkarni, a co-founder and CEO at Elda Health. That was awesome. Thank you so much for doing this today. Thanks Michael for having me here.